I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's up, everybody? It is Wednesday, November 21st, 2018. I couldn't get uh, an episode out yesterday. Uh, It was a pretty packed day, so I didn't really have time to record, but that's okay. We're coming to you from beautiful Bay Area. It is currently raining. Uh, which is, we haven't gotten it in a while, and it's pretty wonderful. Uh, so that's the news from here. Uh, I've got a great uh, weekend, sports weekend, upcoming for Thanksgiving. We've got, obviously, the NFL with football traditional games on Thanksgiving Day, uh, as well as college basketball is in full swing. I'm actually watching the final of the Maui Invitational as I'm recording this. Uh, that should be over by the time this gets out. What else? Uh, you've got the match between Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. I uh, won't go too in-depth on that, but you got two of the best American golfers of all time going head-to-head uh, for lots and lots and lots of money. $9 million and probably more is on the table. Uh, so that'll be a fun... If, if you want to watch that, I believe that's on Bleacher Report Live or Pay-Per-View. Interesting that they're treating it like a boxing match. Um, what else? And then a big weekend of college football. It is rivalry week or hate week or whatever it's called, but you got plenty of great games this weekend, and we're going to preview some of them later on in the show. Uh, so if you're a sports fan and you want to avoid the in-laws and avoid the relatives and just sit around and watch some sports, this weekend really is uh, for you, although I'd recommend probably want to talk to your relatives. But uh, plen- plenty of sports to go around for, for anyone who, who likes to watch. Uh, in in the family. So, without further ado, uh, let's get underway. So we're going to do something we don't uh, often do, and that is start the show with the NFL because, well, really because of one game. Um, And I think everyone knows what game that I'm talking about. And there was a lot of hype surrounding this game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the LA Rams. It was supposed to be played in Mexico City. It was going to be between two 9-1 teams in a crazy environment. Um, and it was not meant to be because the Estado Azteca in uh, Mexico was not up to spec. And so they had to move the game back to Los Angeles, uh, where it was originally would have been scheduled. And it actually ended up being a pretty raucous crowd. I mean, you got a good mix of Chiefs fans and Rams fans, smattering of Chiefs fans along the Kansas City sideline. Um, but the Rams crowd was about as loud as a Los Angeles football crowd has been since the Rams and Chargers came back to the City of Angels. Uh, and it was a nice place, nice backdrop to have a football game, and what a football game it was. I mean, it's not often that maybe I would say or, or we would say we feel lucky to see something. I mean, we watch a game, we say, oh, it's a good game. But it's not often you say, oh, I, I, it's not, a, not many games where you say, oh, I, I remember where I was when I saw that game. And this is one of those games where uh, it's probably going to be like that for me. It definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, two of the best, the, maybe the three best offenses along with the Saints in the league. Um, and it had the best, it was the best highest rated Monday Night Football game so far this season. Uh, I think it had an 11.6 overnight rating, which is very good. Uh, especially for a cable channel uh, as ESPN is. And it was an awesome game, uh, starting with the offenses. This was the first game in NFL history in which two teams scored 
Both teams scored over 50 points. As a result, default Scorigami. If you don't know what Scorigami is, you should probably check it out. It's a stat made up by SB Nation's John Boyce where it's uh, every score that has happened in an NFL game. In other words, this is the first time the final score of a game has been 54-51. to 51. Uh, And that had to happen because both teams scored over 50 points. Um, but and it was the highest scoring Monday Night Football game. Uh, the third highest scoring game all time. But what was great about this game was we didn't just get the crazy offenses and the big throws and the big play receivers and the big play backs. In fact, the backs didn't have uh, as much of a say in this as we might have thought going in. But we still got some defense. Uh, Both teams scored defensive touchdowns. Uh, The Rams scoring two. Both scored by Samson Emucam, who really had a great showing in this game. Aaron Donald forced a turnover with the strip. Uh, Also, uh, the Chiefs had a forced fumble from Jared Goff and a touch, a strip by Justin Houston, and then a score for a touchdown. So, I mean, these lines were getting to the quarterback, even with all the passing. It, I think it actually said something. I saw this uh, on, I forgot where, but that uh, Pat Mahomes actually had a higher passer rating than Jared Goff, even though he threw three picks. Um, oh, yeah, and there were two picks in the last two minutes or so. But uh, this was one of those games where, for a multitude of reasons, uh, you couldn't take your eyes off the screen. I mean, I was trying to do other stuff during this game, and I just couldn't pay attention because one second you've got a long touchdown throw, and the next second you've got a strip sack uh, going for a touchdown the other way. I mean, just back and forth. It's like a basketball game. Uh, and also some special teams had some fun in this game. I mean, uh, Johnny Hecker, one of the best punters in the game, had basically had a punt for the win with one minute left. And pinned Tyreek Hill, who had some, made some questionable decisions bringing balls out of the end zone. Pinned uh, Tyreek Hill back and the Chiefs back at like the 10-yard line. And in this game, it wasn't just a one-sided game either. It was a really competitive game. I mean, Kansas City had two chances where they were down by 10 or more and fought back twice. First down 13 nothing, and then down 40-30. to I mean, I really didn't want this game to end. Uh, if I, for one, I thought after the Rams scored their... A final touchdown to go up 54-51. I I was convinced this game was going into overtime. But the Rams had some great field position plays, flipping the field, uh, and the Chiefs were not able to confer it with the Rams secondary, who had been struggling all game, really starting to lock down at the end, covering receivers deep and all. Uh, So that was just an instant classic. And I really hope we get this matchup in the Super Bowl because these teams are just straight-up fun to watch. Uh, Like, and add that with the Saints, who of course have the two running backs in Kamara and Ingram, and I think we'll talk a little. We'll talk a little bit more about them later, um, but just the variety of weapons. I mean, this is the new NFL, and I'm a young fan, so I, uh, for one, like this trend of more offense. Um, obviously, I think for me, this game drew some parallels to Game Five of the World Series in 2017 last year, uh, where the Houston Astros beat the Dodgers 13-12 to in 10 innings. And everyone's like, is this the future of baseball? Uh, is this where baseball is going with 5 billion home runs per game? No, it's not. Not every game is going to be like this. But this is the best of what the modern sport has to offer, uh, with two teams going back and forth. Uh, the intensity is a playoff-style atmosphere. Um, and for the viewer, 
just a really fun game to watch. All right, uh, next we're going to talk about the Saints beating the Eagles, demolishing the Eagles, the former Super Bowl champions, 48-7. to I was about to say 47. No, 7. The Saints have an embarrassment of riches on the offensive end. Uh, Drew Brees is, is still Drew Brees, even at his advanced age. 20, 23 for 30, 363 yards, four touchdowns, no picks in this game. Michael Thomas, their star wideout, had four catches for 92 yards and touchdown. Uh, Traquan Smith, speedy wide receiver, had a breakout game. Ten catches for 157 yards and one touchdown. And then, of course, the two headed uh, squad in the backfield with Mark Ingram with 16 carries for 103 yards on the ground and two touchdowns, and then Alvin Kamara with 108 scrimmage yards and one receiving touchdown in garbage time. Those, those You would expect those maybe individual performances, maybe one per team, um, but the Saints have got five of those performances in one game uh, against the reigning Super Bowl champions, who, whose defense is pretty solid. Um, and, and now the Saints just demolished them and dismantled them one by one. Saints are now on a nine-game winning streak, and they're essentially the hottest team in the league. The Chiefs just got slowed down by the Rams. The Rams uh, have been escape, escaped uh, against Seattle and squeaked out a win against Kansas City. So, I mean, the Saints, with their with the amount of weapons they have on offense, there's no team that can stop them right now, and they appear to be on a crash course with the Rams to meet in the NFC Championship game. And I think the Rams might have the or would probably have the edge uh, in that game because of the pressure they can bring in the front. Uh, I mean, Aaron Donald, Namgunsu, now Ed, throw Ebucam into the mix. I mean, that is a tough D line to stop. And if someone can throw the Saints off their rhythm, uh, we're not real. We have yet to see what can happen with New Orleans, um, but. The Eagles are also the Eagles are kind of in trouble. Taking a look at Philadelphia, they're now four and six on the year, and they have a chance to get back on track in the next couple of weeks with the New York Giants uh, and the now Alex Smith-less Washington Redskins. Uh, but it's going to be a tough ride for them because Carson Wentz is not an MVP caliber franchise quarterback right now, um, and the uh, defense kind of has to regroup. Um, and make sure not to get exploited like this again. Next game we're going to talk about. Well, this NFL segment is running pretty long. Uh, next game we're going to talk about is the Bears beating the Vikings 25-20. to This is a classic NFC North game with tough smash-mouth football. It's a big division game, too. The Bears coming in up a half a game in the division. They now lead by a game and a half. And the Bears team I saw on, on Sunday Night Football this week was the Bears team that I grew up hearing about with... Big, tough linebackers and swarming defenses. Uh, on this Bears team, you got guys like Khalil Mack, uh, of course, coming over from the Raiders this year. Leonard Floyd, Akeem Hicks had a big game on the Bears line. And they're a turnover machine, uh, getting picks and forcing fumbles. Now, now, the question for this Bears team, despite a big win uh, against the Vikings this week, is going to be, is Mitchell Trubisky good enough to compete in the playoffs? Because in this game, I mean, he was good enough. Uh, he didn't commit too many turnovers and held on to the ball in control possession. But he made some questionable throws, including uh, <coughs> excuse me, including a pick. But what he started to, or what he kind of showed on the national stage in this game was his legs. 
his legs will help him uh, against perhaps better arms against, say, the Drew Breeses, against the Aaron Rodgers or the Jared Goffs. Uh, I mean, in this game, Mr. Trubisky had, uh, let, me, let me pull up the stats real quick. He had 10 rushes for 43 yards, but more importantly, he was able to get some big first downs uh, and keep his team moving down the field. And that's what quarterbacks ultimately use their legs for. Uh, so if Trubisky can make his reads better, uh, that's going to go a long way toward, toward helping this Bears team actually make some noise in the playoffs. Uh, speaking of running quarterbacks, the Ravens beat the Bengals 24-21 to in Lamar Jackson's start. Uh, quarterback out of Louisville, famed for his rushing game. And he had the first 100-yard rushing game by a Raven this season, and coming from a quarterback, it's pretty surprising. And that's ultimately who they thought they were drafting, right? You get a guy who, even if he's a little unpolished with the throwing game, uh, he has enough explosiveness to kind of be a game-breaker of sorts. Uh, the Texans beat the Redskins 23-21, to but the story from this game is Alex Smith going through a gruesome injury reminiscent of Joe Theismann 33 years ago, who actually commented uh, about it. And shame for Alex Smith, because he's a really, he's a good guy. I mean, I knew him from his time at the Niners, with the Niners. Um, and he's selfless. Uh, obviously, starting in front of Pat Mahomes last year was ne- never uh, seemed, wanted to hinder his progress or anything. So uh, it's a shame to see him go down. But Colt McCoy gets another chance uh, to lead this Redskins team, uh, who is currently sitting a game up in the division, but is going to go face the Cowboys next week in a division game. The Steelers beat the Jaguars 20-16, to with the Steelers scoring 20 straight points to win the game. And the Jacks' defense, uh, despite how great their secondary played, and Jalen Ramsey had an amazing interception uh, in that game, but they can't put together a complete game. Uh, and they lose their sixth straight now. Uh, this team that we thought was maybe going to be competing for a championship and was 3-1 and one at the start of the year, including a win over the Patriots, still uh, cannot put, has not put another win on the board since. Um, and the Jaguars are going to try to get back on track next week. All right, for the second topic, we're going to briefly go over the Major League Baseball awards, or at least some of the awards. Uh, baseball released the various... Uh, trophies last week from the MVPs to the Cy Youngs and we're going to go over them right now. Uh, The AL MVP was Mookie Betts and this is really not too surprising. I mean he was one of the uh, MVP candidates as we progressed throughout the year. Just taking a look at his stats. 346 average, 47 doubles, 5 triples, 32 home runs, 129 runs, 80 RBIs, and 30 stolen bases in addition to a gold glove. And he's quickly becoming the face of the league, not only individually, but as far as style of play. I mean, he's young, he's electric, uh, he's on a good team. And that's, that's the trends that you need as a, face of the, as a face of a franchise, as a face of a league. You want someone who's going to be around a long time and on, and on a good team for a long time. And that's what the Red Sox and Mookie Betts are shaping up to do. Plus, he got America a free taco, stealing a base in the World Series. So... Um, he deserves it, 100%. The NL MVP was Kristen Yelich, who had, a, uh, according to Major League Baseball's press release, had a 770 slugging percentage after the All-Star break, which was Major League Baseball's best in 14 years. He quietly got it done, and he was on the Marlins uh, a few years ago and got traded to Milwaukee. And I really wonder how much talent is still sitting on the Marlins, because with Stanton leaving and Yelich leaving, uh, that makes two... 
perennial all-stars that have thrived in other places outside of Miami. Uh, and Christian Yelich was definitely one of them this year. Uh, the AL Cy Young went to Blake Snell. I'm going to be honest, I don't really know very much about Blake Snell, um, but I will read what the MLB said and uh, make some brief comments. He had 21 wins this year and a 1.89 ERA. He also pitched the fewest innings ever for a starter who won the Cy Young at 180 and two-thirds innings. Uh, and I, I just wrote down another quietly getting it done. I mean, there were big, there were some big names he beat out, like Justin Verlander, Corey Kluber, Chris Sale. I mean, you have to dominate all year uh, to win the AL Cy Young. And not only did he overperform, but his team overperformed as well. I believe they won 90 games in a tough division. Um, so good season for the Rays and for Snell. And the NL Cy Young went to Jacob deGrom, who won only 10 games, the fewest ever by a starter to win the Cy Young. Um, and that was the big question, because there's no question based off his ERA at 1.70. Um, there's, there's no question he deserved the award, but the question was how much were the baseball writers going to factor in wins. But the win, now that we've got all these advanced stats, I mean, you don't really need the win anymore, because the question is, and Michael Wilbon, one of the uh, most respected guys on ESPN, and I love watching him, but he says that this is analytics taking over the game, and that uh, the wind should matter more, but I disagree with him because ultimately how well a pitcher performs is not whether, I mean, if, if some analytics seem arbitrary to you, I mean, the wind is kind of arbitrary too. I mean, the, it's not how well you did, it's how well you did compared to how well your offense did, and your offense has nothing to do with you or basically nothing to do with you. So I think ERA is a more important stat or just runs average um, if you want to be totally just based off of what ha- how you pitched. Um, and so I think that's why the wins ultimately didn't end up mattering, and it was almost a unanimous decision by the baseball writers because they recognized how dominant he was. Okay, one more major topic before we head off into Thanksgiving break, and that's college football. Second to last week of the year, it is week, I guess I would make it week 12 now. couple games this week. Notre Dame beating Syracuse, number three beating number 12, 38-3. I mean, of note, uh, Syracuse's quarterback, starting quarterback Eric Dungy left in the first quarter but uh, due to injury. Still, Notre Dame's defense was very impressive. Um, I was just watching the game kind of off to the side as I was working, and this I, uh, this orange offense could get nowhere. Uh, the Syracuse, uh, the Notre Dame defense was plugging all the gaps, um, and not letting wide receivers get open. And that's what you need to do as a defense. It's a big quality win for the Irish because now they are 11-0, and and their last test is the University of Southern California on Saturday since they don't have a conference championship game. But now that they're the third-ranked team in the country in the new college football playoff rankings, if they win, they're in. It's, it's easy as that. Now, a loss would complicate things quite a bit, but it's nice to get this quality win on their resume just to tell everyone, look, we're, we're for real, all right? Also, in the game of the week, UCF beat Cincinnati, uh, propelling UCF up to number 9 in the rankings, 38-13. to 13. Uh, Did you know that UCF Stadium is known as the bounce house because it's, like, barely up to code, and when everyone jumps, the, like, the house literally bounces? I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting anecdote. But their offense is crazy fast. Um, 
they snapped the ball with like 32 seconds left on the play clock out of 40. Um, and the defenses have a tough time keeping up with that. It's like my Madden hurry-up offense. It's unstoppable. But after Mackenzie Milton said, yeah, we're better than Notre Dame this week, he needed to walk the walk, and boy, did he. Uh, he made some big throws, deep throws, showing off that arm strength. Um, and after Cincinnati got out to a 6 nothing lead, took away all the momentum from them. Now, now, now that you, UCF has a quality win, you have to put UCF in the top four, right? Right? Eh, not really. I mean, if UCF wins another New Year's Six Bowl, last year they beat Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Uh, if they win another New Year's Six Bowl, maybe we start taking them seriously for the college football playoff. Unfortunately, their quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, will be gone by then. But... They'll magically have to find some strength of schedule somewhere if they want to make it into the college football playoff because they're a very talented team uh, in, in the uh, AAC, but they're not playing the Ohio States of the world. They're not playing the Clemsons of the world. They're not playing the Oklahomas of the world. They're playing the Memphises of the world and the Cincinnati's of the world. Um, and if they can find some opponent that is willing to play them, a Power 5 opponent that's willing to play them and bolster that strength of schedule, um, that'll be a chance for them to get in the college football playoff. But at the moment, as with four teams as it stands, uh, they don't really deserve to be there either uh, based on who they've played. And that's not really their fault. That's just the way the system is. But we got some big matchups next week. Starting with Michigan and Ohio State. I don't know what the rivalry is called, the game, something like that. Uh, both teams struggled this week. Michigan's uh, scraping by Indiana and Ohio State doing the same with Maryland. But neither team should be particularly worried. I mean... This was a tune-up game, ultimately. Those were tune-up games, ultimately, for this big game between number 4 and number 10 coming up. The big matchup is going to be Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback, versus the Michigan defense, which has been playing phenomenally um, in recent weeks. Uh, But a big question will be how healthy is defensive end Chase Winovich. He's one of the leaders, uh, one of veterans on that defense. Uh, And he'll he'll probably play, but the question is how much is he? Is he 50%? Is he 80%? Is he 100%? Um, and that's going to change how that defense is anchored. Next, Oklahoma versus West Virginia. In the la- in their last three games, which were all wins, but Oklahoma's given up 133 points and at least 40 points in each game. And in this game, they're going to face another high-powered offense, and it's on the road. Uh, so, And Morgantown's going to be crazy for this game. Uh, so I don't know how well... Uh, Oklahoma's defense is going to fare, but if they want to make the playoff, they're going to have to play good defense, and I think that's pretty fitting uh, because that's the that's the reason Oklahoma's sitting at number six. Finally, Washington versus Washington State. This ended up being a top 16 matchup based on how the ranking shifted this week, and it deserved to be. The Apple Cup is as big this year as it's been in a while. Um, to be honest, Washington State sitting at number 8 probably isn't making the playoff, mostly because of the teams in front of them and what would have to happen for them to win. and They would need a lot of losses, in other words, um, and, and a conference championship. Uh, but uh, what's worth noting is that Washington State's team, which scored 69 points last week, uh, Gardner Minshew has stepped up as the quarterback of this team after their tragic loss this offseason. Um, and Mike Leach is as glorious and unhinged, but in a good way, as ever. Of note, something from Washington State. I talked about a conference championship game, but that's might not be a that probably won't be a quality win. I mean, the Pac-12 South, uh, with a bunch of teams that have not exactly played up to their standard, uh, UCLA being one of them, 
uh, USC. Those teams are not going to super uh, add another super quality win like a Big 12 Conference Championship game might or a SEC or an ACC game might. But we've got a phenomenal slate for next weekend, and we are going to have so much to talk about uh, with the year calendar year winding down. Quick take. Uh, it's a quick take because the game that I was watching, Duke and Gonzaga, just ended. And there's so many things to go over. I mean, coming into this game, Duke was the big story. 5-0 and with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, uh, Trey Jones. This exciting set of freshmen that can shoot and dunk and just score. Flat out score. And a Gonzaga team that's a little more veteran uh, and comes in with maybe some stars that not as much of America has heard of. But they're the number three team in the country for a reason, and they showed that beating the Blue Devils in the finals of the Maui Jim Maui Invitational Tournament, 89 to 87. First of all, I think the Maui tournament is uh, an amazing environment. I mean, it's a 2,500-seat uh, arena there in Lahaina on Maui, on the island of Maui. And it's nice to have a little intimate high school-style feel, but you still get some of the best competition that college basketball has to offer. Um, and in this game... From the start, it was edge of your seat, end and action. Both teams came out kind of antsy, full of energy, as to be ex- as is to be expected with a game this early in the year. I mean, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, and we're getting these top five, top three matchups that we would just love to see in uh, March and April. And I think we learned from this game, we'd love to see this matchup again in March or April uh, between Duke and uh, the Blue Devils and the Bulldogs. But a story that came out of this game, Rui Hachimura, who's a... Son of a Beninese father's country in West Africa and a Japanese mother, and he came to Spokane in his freshman year at Gonzaga, not barely knowing or knowing no English, and he came for basketball reasons. But he had to learn the language while learning to play basketball. Learning the vocabulary is a great story on ESPN. The Athletic has one as well, although I haven't read it because I don't have the paywall. Um, but he's a phenomenal story, and he's a big man that led, helped lead Gonzaga to this win, was presence on the defensive end, um, and also his touch, shooting touch on the offensive end is great as well. The Duke Blue Devils are still electrifying to watch on television. I'm sure they're electrifying to see in person. I mean, there was a stretch where they were down 10, and it looked like they were struggling, they were going to lose, and then dunk, dunk, dunk. Uh, They had been kind of held back all game, including on the fast break, but even in the half court, they were able to get dunks on rebounds, dunks in transition, uh, R.J. Barrett slicing through the lane. I mean, Zion gets all the hype for his dunks, but Barrett can get up too, uh, the Canadian product. And it was just an exciting, thrilling back-and-forth game. Uh, and college basketball is back, baby. I know we haven't really had much time to talk about it, but uh, college basketball is here. And with all the Thanksgiving tournaments happening, the Battle for Atlantis, I think, just wrapped up. And so uh, it's going to be an exciting couple of months as we march our way toward uh, March Madness and brackets and everything that makes uh, collegiate athletics wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to the Wong Takes, uh, this Thanksgiving break edition. I'm so happy, man. Bit.ly slash Wong Takes, Wong Takes at gmail.com, patreon.com slash Wong Takes, rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, send questions, leave voicemails. Um, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy everything. And I will do as such. And I will see you next week.